are in Nehemiah 1, 1 through 11. Nehemiah 1, 1 through 11. It's good to be with you guys this morning. If this is your first time here, my name is Garrison, and I'm one of the pastors here at uh, Veritas Dayton. Um, If you want to open your Bibles, we're in Nehemiah 1. 1 through 11, as I just said. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there's, there's white and blue paperback Bibles at the edge of each bench. You can grab one of those. Uh, and you can turn to page 226 in that Bible, and that will get you to Nehemiah 1. Nehemiah 1, 1 through 11. Um, hey, just be in prayer for uh, the, the people of Veritas. There's just a lot of sickness and a lot of uh, terrible things going around. <laughs> so uh, just be in prayer for... Um, especially a, a lot of little ones. It seems like there's a lot of little ones who are out of commish, if you know what I mean. So uh, go ahead and be in prayer for them. Be in prayer for the Turners. They're up in Cleveland right now uh, with Seth. So be in prayer for the Turners and just um, try to send them encouragements and, and, uh, and words of encouragement as you can, as you're able. Uh, please uh, remember to do that. Uh, you received in the bulletin that you walked in with and that you received this morning, you received in that bulletin a Connect card. Uh, take a few moments, especially if it's your first time here or if you've been coming for a little bit but haven't gotten plugged in with uh, what God is doing here in our church family. Take that, fill that out, uh, turn it in to either me or one of the other leaders you've seen up here or there's a bucket in the back, there's a black box on the welcome table by the coffee out here. Uh, just put that in one of those places and, and uh, we'd love to get connected with you and and uh, get you plugged into what God is doing here in our church family. Um, all right, Nehemiah 1, 1 through 11, if you want to stand with me for the reading of God's holy and precious word, I know you just sat down, but we want to stand out of respect and honor for God's word. We believe that this is God's voice. He is addressing us uh, in his word, and so we want to we uh, hear these words as if uh, they were Jesus Christ himself speaking them to us, because that's exactly what they are. So let's listen with reverence and joy. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hekeliah. Now it happened the month of Kislev, in the twentieth year, as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, The remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you have commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are faithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep the commandments, keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them into the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people, whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was cupbearer to the king. 
This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that you would bless the reading and proclamation of your word with the presence and power of your Holy Spirit now. Would you help us, Lord, to receive the word into our hearts, to hear it, to have our eyes open, to behold Christ in glory, to receive the seed of this word. Lord, and would you let the seed of this word fall not on uh, hearts that are like the, the beaten down path, the thorny soil, the rocky soil, but let our hearts be like that fresh, fertile soil prepared by your spirit to receive the seed of the word to produce 30, 60, 100 fold. Would you let the words of my mouth and meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Through Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. You can have a seat. Well, a little over uh, 10 years ago in Louisville, Kentucky, uh, Rochelle Starr started noticing billboards for strip clubs on her way to and from work every day. She started noticing these billboards day in and day out, uh, And she began to, as she passed these billboards, she began to be burdened for the women working in these clubs. She began to have a weighty sense that God was calling her to reach out in love to the women working in these clubs. And so she and several friends began to pray. Uh, They began to pray together every week. Uh, They would go to these clubs and they would park in these parking lots and, and they would just pray together in their car. And after some time of doing this, in 2008, they decided to go into one of these clubs one night. And once inside one of these clubs that evening, she walked up to, the, to, to a staff uh, person of, of the club, and, and they asked what they could do for her, uh, to which she responded. She hadn't planned on saying this. She just blurted out, uh, Jesus has sent me here to do something kind and loving for the women of this club. Can I bring in a meal? She hadn't planned on saying that, and when she asked uh, what, 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 uh, what, that if they could do this, um, this was just the first thing out of her mouth, and much to her surprise, they said yes. And so every Thursday evening since, from that point on, in Louisville, Kentucky, there's a group of women uh, bringing meals to women who work in the adult entertainment ministry, and they get to sit down with these women, and they get to tell them the good news about Jesus Christ. And since then, numerous women have come to know Christ, join Bible studies, join churches, and be discipled in the Christian faith. In other branches of this ministry, this ministry is called Scarlet Hope. Other branches of this ministry have started, and this all began with Rochelle Starr being burdened by God for these women and going to the Lord in prayer for these women and what she, about what she might do. Uh, a little over 1,600 years ago, in a country in northern, in the northern part of the continent of Africa, this a country called Algeria, a very godly, Christ-following woman named Monica gave birth to a baby boy. Her husband was not a follower of Jesus, uh, and she was burdened. She was bur- She felt a. Bur- she sensed a burden to see her son become a follower of Jesus. She so badly wanted to see her son become a follower of Jesus. She so badly wanted to see him following Christ, using his gifts to serve the church, and to share with her in her eternal joy. And so she prayed. She prayed day in and, and day out for this child. She prayed day and night. She can, and he, he continued to grow. And as he grew, his depravity became more and more apparent. He was very naughty. And he became more and more entrenched in his rejection of the Christian faith. But she continued to pray and pray and pray and pray. 
Her son had a child out of wedlock, tried to abandon his child and the child's mother and his own mother by running off to a, to a, a city in modern-day Italy. But his mother followed him, and she continued to pray for him. She put him in contact with a pastor by the name of Ambrose, and she recruited Ambrose uh, to be in prayer for her son. Her son, he, he had a brilliant mind. He was well-versed in many philosophies of, and worldviews of the day, and he was, he was trained in rhetoric. He was brilliant, and, and he believed uh, some, some worldviews and philosophies that were very contrary to the Christian faith, and he was very well-educated about the Christian faith and his rejection of it. But she continued to pray and to pray. Well, eventually, her son came to believe in and trust in the person and work of Jesus. And he moved back to his home in Algeria, in northern Africa, and he became a pastor there. And he oversaw several churches in his region. And he also has numerous books and numerous writings uh, that have come to influence Christian theology for the last 1,600 years. In fact, we could also say about this man that no one outside of the biblical authors have been more influential in the Christian faith than this man. Uh, This man, of course, is St. Augustine. Uh, In October of 2015, a group of about 15 adults with just countless, numerous young children, just millions of young children, it seemed like, started to sense a burden to see a gospel-preaching church planted in East Dayton. They wanted to see unchurched and de-churched people come to know Christ and come to be discipled in a local church. And they believe that one of the greatest needs in East Dayton is a faithful faithful gospel-preaching churches to be planted in its midst. And so they started to pray. And they started to gather every Sunday evening to read and study the Bible together and to, to pray together. And these meetings, they weren't necessarily exciting. Sometimes they were even awkward and inconvenient and kind of pathetic. But they continued to pray and continued to seek the Lord. And eventually God granted this small group of folks the grace to become a church. And in September of 2016, they started Sunday morning gatherings and they celebrated baptisms and and they've been steadily growing in maturity numerically ever since. And of course, I'm talking about us, guys, if you couldn't tell. And I share these stories because in them you see a pattern. And you, that you, that this is how great Christian stories start. Great Christian stories begin with the people of God receiving a burden and persisting in prayer. Great Christian stories begin with the people of God receiving a burden and persisting in prayer. Great Christian stories begin with the people of God receiving a burden from God concerning the kingdom of God. And as a result, they begin going to to God and seeking him in prayer on behalf of those they've been called to serve and concerning what they might do. And that's precisely what we see here in the beginning of this story about Nehemiah. Nehemiah begins to be burdened about the people of God, the city of God, the kingdom of God. And this leads him to go to the Lord, to seek the Lord, to persist in prayer to the Lord for these people and about what he might do. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. Look with me first at receiving God's burden and second, persisting in prayer. Receiving God's burden, persisting in prayer. Beginning with Nehemiah 1.1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hekeliah. Now it happened in the month of Kislev, the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the citadel, 
that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. So right away, we're introduced to Nehemiah. Uh, He's a man who holds a very important position in the Persian court. Uh, Verse 11 tells us he is the cupbearer to the king, meaning that Nehemiah served the king of Persia his wine and and tasted his wine in order to make sure it wasn't poisoned. That's why Nehemiah is in Susa, the citadel. That was where the king's winter home was. Uh, In the month of Kislev, that would fall in the months of what we know as November and December. And the reference here to the 20th year is in reference to the 20th year of the reign of King Artaxerxes. And Nehemiah was his cupbearer. And cupbearers, they they held a number of important responsibilities in the king's court. Uh, They they typically oversaw some of the king's finances and his planning. Uh, And so Nehemiah's position means that he is a most trusted servant of the king of Persia. But more importantly, we see Nehemiah is, as he continually refers to himself as in this prayer that we see in verses 5 through 11, Nehemiah is a servant of God. Nehemiah is a citizen. He's a son of Hekeliah. He's a citizen of the city of God. He's a Jew. And that's why when his brother and several of the men from Judah visit, Nehemiah asks them about Jerusalem and about the remnant and returned exiles there. Pick it back up in verse 2. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. Now, this is bad news. It's not necessarily new news. The walls had been broken down and the gates had been burned with fire ever since Jerusalem had been invaded and attacked by Babylon in 589 BC, well over a hundred years ago at this point. But the fact that the walls, that the city, that the people are still in this condition is problematic. So the remnant had been back in Jerusalem for about a hundred years at this point. They've rebuilt the temple. They've refurnished the temple. They've seen the temple, the place of the presence of God, restored. But their efforts to rebuild the rest of the city of God and the city's walls were thwarted. And so this just absolutely wrecks Nehemiah. In verse 4, he says, As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And we need to understand that, that Nehemiah, he very easily could have just shrugged this off. He had a comfortable life. He worked for the king. He lived in the king's palace. He was well taken care of. He had a good and comfortable life, but he doesn't let that distract him from the kingdom of God. Rather, his concern, his passion, his burden is for the kingdom of God. That's what we see as he sits down and weeps and mourns for days over the condition of the city of God. This is Nehemiah receiving God's burden for God's people and the cause of the kingdom of God. And as children of the kingdom of God, we should reflect that same concern, the same burden that Nehemiah had. Nothing should be more important to us than the welfare of the people of God and the cause of the kingdom of God. And that begins here in our concern for one another's welfare and the cause of the kingdom of God in our city. And it extends out to our brothers and sisters in mission efforts across the globe. And now I want to, press in here because I think sometimes we might have the tendency to be more preoccupied with things temporal and trivial than we do things eternal and weighty. I think we sometimes have the tendency, I want to humbly suggest this, I think we sometimes have the tendency to to be more preoccupied with LeBron James signing a four-year contract with the Lakers 
with whatever's going on in the royal family, with whatever stupid thing Kanye West said this week, the catching our favorite TV show, I fear that sometimes we're more preoccupied with things like that than we are things eternal and weighty than we are for the welfare of the people of God and the cause of the kingdom of God. Like I, I know that we, we all know and we all have discussed that LeBron James signed a $153 million four-year contract with the Lakers. We all know and have discussed that, but have we talked about, have we prayed about the more than 200 killed and attacks on Christian villages in Nigeria last month? We all caught several hours of television this week, no doubt. But have we been burdened enough about one another's needs in this church family to be in prayer for one another, to check in on one another, to send one another words of encouragement? Have you prayed for the Turners this week? Have you reached out and encouraged them or someone else who's going through similar circumstances? Maybe you were preoccupied with Starbucks not using straws anymore the last several weeks. But have you been burdened about the gospel going forth and penetrating darkness in our city and world? You know, there's nothing wrong with caring about LeBron James and the Lakers. There's nothing wrong with watching TV or applauding Starbucks, not using straws anymore. But you know, there's a word to describe those who are only preoccupied with temporal things. And it's called secularism. And as followers of Jesus, he specifically called us, Matthew 6, to not be preoccupied with solely temporal things. Instead, he told us to seek first, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We're called to be burdened first and foremost, to be concerned first and foremost, to care first and foremost about the welfare of the people of God and the cause of the kingdom of God. And so I implore you, receive God's burden. When there's brokenness and vulnerability and shame in the people of God in our church and in churches in our city and in churches throughout the world, be burdened by it. Be burdened by it here in our city, in our church. Be burdened by it for our brothers and sisters across the globe, especially our persecuted brothers and sisters. Be burdened about the kingdom of God going forth in darkness in our city and in our world. But now we see not only is Nehemiah burdened over the kingdom of God, we see that burden take the shape of prayer. And not just prayer, but a particular kind of prayer. The character of Nehemiah's prayer life was persistent. We see him persisting in prayer. That's one of the things we see about Nehemiah in this book is that he is a man of prayer. And we see that right off the bat in chapter 1 here. Pick it back up in the latter half of verse 4. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Now I want you to notice first off, this isn't just like a one-off prayer. He persisted in prayer. Nehemiah continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And in verse 6, we see that Nehemiah, he prayed in this way, both day and night. If we look at verse 1 of chapter 1 and verse 1 of chapter 2, we see that he prayed in this way from the month of Kislev to the month of Nisan, which would mean that he prayed like this from the time of November, December in our months to the time of March and April in our months, in our calendar. That's four months, four months of fasting, prayer, weeping, mourning on his knees before the God of heaven. 
Four months of interceding and begging God to do a great work in the city of God. Four months of pouring out his heart, a heart so full of compassion and passion for the people of God and the kingdom of God. He persisted, he was persistent in prayer. I don't know about you, but sometimes I do this thing when someone asks me to pray for them. I'll I'll just do it right then and there, really quick, one prayer, one off, and and then I'll just forget about it. I'll let it be after that. I don't want to tell someone that I'm going to pray for them and then not do it. So I just go, okay, I need to not lie to this person, so I'm just going to pray, and then I'll forget about it after that. I'll feel okay about it. And there are times when that's okay. There are times when that's appropriate. But there are also times where that would be totally inappropriate. You better not just pray for your children once. You better not just pray for the vitality and health of your church once. You better not step into a new missional endeavor without, with, with only having prayed once. Sometimes you need to grab hold of Christ's garment and not let go until you are blessed. Sometimes you have to wrestle with him through a dark season. Sometimes you need to persist in prayer. There are people and causes and situations that call for that particularly when it's something especially burdensome, particularly when it comes to the welfare of the people of God and the cause of the kingdom of God. We should persist in prayer. In Luke 18, we see a parable of Jesus where he calls us to this very kind of prayer. It's a a parable uh, called the parable of the persistent widow. Luke opens with saying, he told them a parable to the effect that they they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Jesus said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she'll not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Jesus said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect, to his very own children who cry to him day and night? Who, will, will he delay long over them? Like the widow, we ought to always pray and not lose heart. We ought to persist in prayer. This, this is the kind of prayer that Nehemiah gave himself to. We also see a very important lesson as we look at the content, not just the character, but the content of Nehemiah's prayer itself. The the character of his prayer was persistent. The content of his prayer is enlightening as well. Look at how Nehemiah prays. First, Nehemiah begins his prayer in adoration. He begins, first of all, with remembering what he's doing here and remembering the greatness and character of the God to whom he is praying. He says, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants. This is a summary of the way Nehemiah prayed day and night. He, he had a worshipful, adoring, God-glorifying prayer life. In this short summary of the way he prayed, he prayed, uh, it, it, we see that he prayed in adoration, an adoration of God because of God's love and his covenant faithfulness, because of his sovereignty and because of his ability to see and hear all as the omniscient and omnipresent God. He adored God. He praised God for his greatness and for his goodness. Next, we see Nehemiah's prayer includes confession. 
He says, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Nehemiah recognizes, as we recognize every week in our prayer of confession, Nehemiah recognizes that he and the Israelites are not deserving of God's grace to hear and answer their prayers. He acknowledges that God's work of restoration would have to take place on the basis of God's grace alone and not on the basis of Israel's, his or Israel's worthiness. He recognizes that whatever role he has to play in this restoration, he's not worthy of his role in playing it. In fact, Nehemiah is acknowledging here that God's work of restoration in Jerusalem is taking place because the people of Jerusalem were in the business of destruction. They destroyed it in the first place with their sin. And this is true of all of us. It's it's a necessary thing we have to recognize before becoming participants in God's work We have to recognize that we have no business in being able to do so, both corporately and individually. Notice he actually confesses corporately and individually. In solidarity and oneness with the community of faith, he acknowledges that their sins are his and his sins are their sins. And that the people don't deserve God's gift of restoration, that they don't deserve to participate in his work of restoration. And he also confesses as an individual, he acknowledges that there's no sin of the people of Israel, which he himself and his household had not participated in. He prays in confession. Third, Nehemiah's prayer includes thanksgiving. This is expressed in his remembrance of God's promises to restore the exiled people of God should they repent and turn to him. He says, remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. These are not exact quotations from any specific text, but they're sort of summary of the theology of the book of Deuteronomy. And in the book of Deuteronomy, God told the Israelites on the basis of the old covenant that if they were faithful to the covenant, they would be blessed. But if they were unfaithful, they would be cursed. We know that the curse came to full fruition in the exile of the Jewish community, just as Adam and Eve were exiled from the garden. The Jewish people were exiled from the promised land. But he also gave them a promise. He said that even after they were exiled, if they would repent and turn to him, He would bring them back and restore them. And here, Nehemiah is standing in the gap and repenting as a representative of the people of Israel and asking God to be merciful to them once again. Which brings us to the last element of Nehemiah's prayer. Fourth, Nehemiah's prayer concludes with supplication. Having adored God for his greatness, confessed his people's and his own sinfulness and remembered the promises of God in thanksgiving, he now brings his petitions to God. He, he brings his requests to God. He says, O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. This man he's referring to when he says this man is Artaxerxes, the Persian king. I already mentioned him. 
And the, the reason Nehemiah asks for favor with this man is because Nehemiah is planning on participating in the, in the restoration of the city of Jerusalem. He's planning on leaving Susa, leaving the king's side, and going to Jerusalem to help rebuild. And he knows that he needs permission and help from the king to do so. Nehemiah plans on participating in this great story, the the great story of the restoration of the city of God. This is what Nehemiah has been so burdened by God to do, to, to participate in the restoration, the rebuilding, the reformation, the renewal of the city of God. And so his first course of action isn't to strategize and plan, although he does that later. His first course of action isn't to go to social media and complain about the state of Jerusalem and how bad the situation is and how someone should do something about it. His first course of action isn't even to jump into action by going to the the, the king, King Artaxerxes, straight away. His first course of action is to pray. This great Christian story begins with Nehemiah receiving God's burden and persisting in prayer. Friends, that's how great Christian stories begin. Great Christian stories begin with God's people receiving God's burden and persisting in prayer. Nehemiah received this burden for the people of God and the city of God, for the kingdom of God, and this burden laid on his heart took took shape in persistent prayer, faithful and fervent prayer. We began this morning with seeing three stories where this was the case as well. We looked at the story of Rochelle Starr and her ministry, Scarlet Hope. And no doubt what the Lord was calling her to do was probably pretty scary for her. There were a lot of doubts as she was, I'm sure there were probably a lot of doubts as she was walking into that club that night. And likewise, the Lord has, has called some of you and will call some of you to do some pretty scary things in the future. Maybe he's calling you to participate in the Safe Families Ministry. You've been feeling burned for vulnerable families in our city. Maybe he's going to call you in the future to participate in a church plant sent out from this church in another part of town. Maybe he's called you to overseas missions and giving several years or even the rest of your life to unreached people groups. Christian, receive God's burden and persist in prayer. That's how great Christian stories begin. We also looked at the story of Monica and Augustine. For the majority of us, you know, our our stories won't receive much notoriety like Nehemiah's. Like other famous figures throughout church history and Christian history, no one's going to write books about us. You know, after we die, after a few generations, we're probably going to be completely forgotten. That's just, that's true. Like, you're probably just going to be forgotten. You're going to be forgotten, most likely. But moms and dads, like Monica, that doesn't mean that the story you've been called to is any less weighty or eternally important. Your story may not receive much notoriety, it probably looks very ordinary. There's probably lots of diapers and dishes, and it's, oh, it's... But you've been given a high and important calling to lead these little ones to the Lord Jesus. You've been given a great role in a great Christian story. You are ambassadors and representatives of Jesus to your children. You've been called to raise them in the discipline and admonition of the Lord. You've you've been called to sacrificially serve them for their formation and transformation in the faith. Receive that burden. Persist in prayer. Pray for them day and night. 
That's how great Christian stories begin. We also looked at our church's story, the story of Veritas. In October of 2015, a group of people who shared a burden to see the gospel uh, planted in East Dayton began to gather together every Sunday morning, or Sunday evening rather, to pray. And Veritas, our story isn't over yet. There's still much to be burdened about. There's still many in our city who have not heard the good news of Jesus Christ. There's still much brokenness. There's much that is lamentable in our city. Receive God's burden and persist in prayer. That's how great Christian stories begin. And of course, that's not just how great Christian stories begin. That is the great Christian story. The Christian story is that of Christ who was so burdened, so concerned, he cared so much for the people of God, the elect of God, the children of God, that he came down for us and for our salvation. He was so burdened and so concerned, he so cared for God's elect that he was crucified and killed and buried for us. And not only, not only for us, but for the elect of God all over our city and all over the globe, some of whom don't know this message yet, some of whom are suffering gross injustices, some of whom ha- have still not heard that there is hope and forgiveness and a future for them in Christ Jesus. We should be burned by that. We should be moved to participate with Christ in his bringing his hope and bringing his peace and bringing the message of his forgiveness to them. And we should be confident to do so because on the third day, he rose again from the dead and he ascended into heaven where he is seated at the right hand of God. And there at the right hand of God, he prays, he persists in praying for us. He prays day and night for his people and for the cause of the kingdom of God. He's so burdened for us, his heart so churns within him for us that as Hebrews 7.25 says, he always lives to make intercession for us. He is praying for us right now as our high priest, as our representative. He's always there praying for us, cleaning up our prayers to make them more acceptable. And he's always there persisting in prayer for us. That is the great Christian story. Christ coming down dying, rising, ascending into heaven and gathering a people for himself from every nation, tribe, and tongue. That is the great Christian story and it's one in which all of us, all of us have our own place and role. And we've been called to be faithful to them, to participate in them by receiving God's burden and persisting in prayer. Let's pray together.